Good to be with you here today as we wrap up the um, last of the series on changed, miraculous encounters with Christ. And um, I'm pleased to uh, have the opportunity to do that because this morning I want us to uh, consider um, these miracles that really aren't the focus of of all the messages, as was the miracle maker, uh, Jesus himself. And um, because miracles, you know, really, in essence, are temporary in their nature. They're really powerful, they're exciting, and they do bring change. Um, But not always. And the change that they do set the stage for um, sometimes is just temporary. Think about, and even in this uh, discourse today, of the, uh, the widow's son that was being raised from the dead as Jesus touched his bed as they came by in the funeral procession. Even with Lazarus. Incredible miracle of being brought back from the dead. And yet, Lazarus and this boy, in this account, died again. And they went to the grave eventually. And so as powerful as the miracle was of being raised from the dead, it only had a temporary effect. What miracles do is they set the stage for the eternal. Miracles set the stage for the eternal. The eternal relationship with the living God. They provide the opportunity to either be introduced to God in a relationship with Him, a right relationship with Him, to enhance a relationship if there's already one there, or to deepen that relationship. And that's the beauty of miracles, is that they can, and they set the stage of drawing us to God. Amen? Interesting that miracles sometimes have even a negative effect on those who witness them anyway. And in the story of Lazarus in chapter 11 of John, it's interesting, after um, um, there was this resurrection of Lazarus and he came out of the tomb, um, it says the witnesses, some of the leadership that was watching there, went back and told the Pharisees about what was going on. And these guys, as they heard about from the witnesses of the resurrection, they kind of freaked out. And they said, oh no, what's happening here? If this continues, if this guy who is able, Jesus is able to raise people from the dead, we're going to lose our power and position within our religious community. So let's get rid of this guy. And they set forth a plan to want to kill him. And that came from a miracle. So you can see that, yeah, miracles, as wonderful they are, they're not the end all. But rather they set the stage for the eternal, an eternal right relationship with God. Today, I wanted to um, go to a place of emphasizing Jesus 
in what I would call looking at this passage to see the experiential reality of Jesus in the story, but also today as we think about it in our own lives. An experiential reality of Jesus. What I mean by that is that we can have a head knowledge, an intellectual understanding. We can hear the gospel. We can hear the gospel. We can understand what that means. Oh, okay, the Father, God the Father, he had a son, he sent him into the world to die for the forgiveness of our sins. He was raised again on the third day, and he sent him to the Father. And there he comes to judge the quick and the dead. We can understand that. We can have a type of belief in that, but it may not have any impact on our lives. Been there before? Three years, I pursued Christ, wanting a relationship with him. I was reading the Bible. I was on my knees in different contexts of of evangelistic type of uh, settings where they would make an altar call and I would run up to receive Jesus. Nothing happened. I would leave those situations unchanged. Powerful things were going on all around me. And there was an excitement in the air. But for me, even as much as I wanted it, there was no experience of what I was trying to grab a hold of. Anybody been there? Yeah. I went went through uh, my early search for three years doing that. I thought, boy, something is missing. And what it was, was the experiential relationship with Jesus. I had the intellectual, I had the desire, I had a volitional choice to move forward towards him, but it just wasn't getting, I wasn't there in surrendering my whole heart and soul and mind to be able to receive that which God had for me. I wasn't experiencing Jesus. And I know there's some of you here today, your Christianity seems dead. God seems far off. And you come to worship services like this, hoping, wanting, as I did for three years, I would go to services looking for the experience of Jesus. If you're here today and you're feeling that kind of like you're in the grave spiritually, there's good news for you. And there's good news for the rest of us who have entered into the experiential relationship with Christ. When I was in seminary, was a, uh, I was taking an apologetics class, and that is uh, not apologizing for our faith, but it's a class to defend our faith, to be able to have a rational and logical argument uh, for those who opposed uh, Christianity. And in one of the classes, it was, it was very um, impactful in my life. Um, the teacher was presenting, well, what is truth, and what is the test for truth? And I go, yeah. I mean, everyone's, you know, on the media and everything today is saying, hey, this, this is the news, but you don't know if it's true or not. And our president calls that fake news. So how do we know something to be true or not? And in the class, 
and this is just one professor's uh, perspective, but he said there's three tests for truth for it to be actually true. And I'm not sure how he came up with these three that they were true. But um, the first was it had to be factually adequate. Well, that makes sense. It had to be factually adequate. The second is that it couldn't go against the law of non-contradiction. That in the same context at the same time, with all things being equal, two opposite things cannot be the same. A coin cannot be one-sided and two-sided at the same time. It's one or the other. So it can't go against that law. The third thing, this is the one that applies for us today. The third thing is that truth must be existentially viable. Whoa, there's a big word. Existentially viable. And simply that means, in this use of the term, um, experiential. It has, to be, it has to be real to us experientially. And so much of, of our faith um, or religion um, sometimes just lacks that. But not in Christianity in a true faith relationship with Jesus. He has come to have an experiential relationship with us and us with him. So in this passage today found in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, we're going to look at three aspects of the experiential reality of Jesus in this story. And hopefully you'll find some correlation for your own life today. And so the three experiential realities of Jesus that took place, the first was that Jesus was present. There was an experiential reality of his presence. The second was of his word. There was an experiential reality of the word of Christ, the presence of Christ, the word of Christ. And then finally, there was an experiential reality of the power of Jesus. His presence, his word, and the power. They were all experiential. It just wasn't head knowledge. They were existentially viable, experientially real. So let's go to the text. And I'm getting cotton mouth up here. Does anybody have any water? <laughs> Thank you. So, soon afterward, Jesus went to the town called Nain, and his disciple and a large crowd went along with him. Context. It says soon afterwards. Soon afterwards what? Well, the previous story is about Jesus being up in Capernaum on the northwest uh, corner of the Sea of Galilee. And there in that community, he has a, uh, an experience with a Roman centurion who came to him and asked, Oh, thank you very much. You're a sweetheart. And the centurion comes to him and asks him to heal his servant. And Jesus kindly uh, responds to that request and, in fact, heals um, the servant from afar. He doesn't go and, and lay his hands on him or speak to him or do anything just from afar. Because of the faith of the centurion uh, and Christ sending forth his healing power, that servant was healed. So then from Capernaum, they make their way south, a little bit west, 
the southwest end of Galilee, and they come to this village called Nain. And with Jesus are his disciples and a large crowd. Now, as they come to uh, the gates of Nain, um, they are meeting up with another procession. And I want you to catch the contrast of procession. We have this procession of the followers of Jesus, his disciples, and those who experienced the great miracle up in Capernaum. And they are coming, and that is a procession of life. And they meet up with this procession coming out of Nain, going to a graveyard. It is a funeral procession, and it is one of death. Isn't that crazy? As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. A procession coming out of death, but one coming in of life. What a great picture. And so they meet together at the gate of name, and that means uh, beautiful, uh, lovely. Uh, it can mean green pastures. That uh, community still exists today. Um, but here, they don't collide with one another, but they uh, merge together. And here, Jesus is beholding a widow whose son, her only son, had died. And to be a widow with, with no sons or no um, one to care for you, you are at great risk and very vulnerable. You had no one to provide. You had no one to protect. You had no companion to be with you through the evening and into the next day. So being a widow in Israel, um, hard thing, a hard thing for sure. And when Jesus comes upon this procession of death, it says this, And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Here came an experiential reality for the widow of Jesus and being very present for her in her time of need. It says that he saw her. It says that he felt for her, that he had compassion for her and that he spoke to her directly. That was an experiential presence of Jesus in the life of the widow. And everyone stopped. The, the procession stopped. The, the pallbearers stopped when Jesus spoke. Jesus is an experiential reality in his presence. It says in John chapter 1, beginning of the word, or the word, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of truth and glory. So we see this God, eternal God, sending his son in the flesh to be physically present with us. And we can go through scriptures and we see throughout the, the Gospels of the presence of God through Christ Jesus. And here he is with the widow present in this crowd, two different crowds, but coming together now as one larger one. And he is present with them. 
you're going, well, that's good. He was in the flesh then, but he's not in the flesh now. Right? There's no Jesus walking around for us to have an, an experiential re- reality of his presence. Well, I'll counter that thought. No. In John chapters 14, 15, and 16, before Jesus went to the cross and died, he explained to his listeners, the disciples and those who were being taught, that he was, was expedient for him to go away so that he could send who? The Holy Spirit, who is, for us today, the experiential reality of the presence of Jesus. Amen? It's Christ in us. It's Christ in us. Hope of glory. And so, in fact, we do have the opportunity for that experience. And after three years of, of looking for the experience, that came in my life. And for most of you here today, in some way, the experiential reality of this presence of Jesus has been manifested in your life. Now, we don't do it, even the Spirit didn't do this hologram of some sort by which we could see. But it was an intuitiveness of our heart. It was something by faith that we, in our knower, inside of our soul, that we knew, that we knew, that we knew, we know, that we know, that we know, that Jesus lived and died and is still living because he rose from the dead and he had the power over death. And he lives again unto eternity and now lives with us and in us as it says in the gospel of John you know for the rest of the world that sounds crazy oh sure Jim you got the Holy Spirit living within you whoa I mean that sounds weird frankly I I don't blame the world not understanding that. And I don't think it could be understood ever by the world until God instills faith and belief for us to come to that understanding and the experience of it, as I did three years later. And my life changed because of the presence. Secondly, we have the experiential reality of God's word going here. And he says that he spoke to the woman, and that caught her attention. But he touched the, uh, the bed. It, it says coffin in the uh, New American Standard or the um, NIV. Um, but it really it wasn't a coffin as we understand it, not a, a wooden box or how we would understand coffins. It might have been what they call a burial bed. And it might have had, it had the body on it and it had pallbarials um, carrying uh, the corpse to the grave. And there was a procession around them uh, of mourners. Some might have been professional mourners uh, in front of and surrounding uh, the widow and her dead son. Um, and Jesus stopped them and he touches. And um, after speaking to the woman, he said, don't weep. But then he speaks. He speaks. After going up, it says, and touching the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He, he said, young man, I say to you, get up. That's an experiential word, spoken. I, I don't know how to give you an illustration. Of that. It might be like if you, were, if you were a Marine and the sergeant walks in and he goes, attention! What happens? Yeah, everyone 
stands up, gets off of their bed, gets to the end, of the, and they stand in attention, and they're ready to respond to the sergeant. Because the, the sergeant has power and authority in the word that he speaks. And when the sergeant says, get up, attention, people respond. When Jesus speaks in the authority that he has in his word, things happen. Because that word is alive. It's active. In Hebrews it says, For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Divides to joint marrow, soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of a person. That word... um, there, I believe, is the Christ himself, his power and his presence in his word that brought change to those who hear it and are ready to receive that. Get this in Romans um, chapter 10. It says, how can they, verse 14, call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, the Lord who has believed, who has believed our message. Here's the passage. Consequently, Faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. The word of Christ. In John, the word is referred to logos. Here, in only a couple other places, the word is referred to as rhema. And the difference is, it's the logos made alive. Rhema is the logos made alive. So you can hear the good news, the, the logos, the good message of salvation coming through Christ, but it may not be alive to you and it may not be effectual in your life until Jesus, the Logos, makes that word alive in your heart. Are you hearing it? Do you understand? Just to hear the Logos, you could, all through the Gospels, they were hearing the good message. Did they all believe? No. When did they believe? It's when faith was instilled into their lives. When faith was instilled, a gift given to them, by which made the words of Christ alive. Have you, you've all of you experienced this. You've been in this, script, this book here called the Bible, and you, you get up in the morning and you do your devotions, and you fall asleep halfway through. Maybe I'm confessing here. <laughs> Or it's just like, what? What was that story about? There's no understanding. There's no meaning. There's no relevancy for your own life. It makes it even confuse. It confuses your relationship with God. You say, God, why did you do that? I don't understand. How could you even let that happen? Yeah, you've been there. I know. And then the next day, you go, and you might be reading, rereading the same passage because yesterday nothing got through. And all of a sudden, the words jump out from the page 
and they hit your heart. And you're quickened. Let me use that term. Your spirit is quickened. That word became rhema for you, alive. The logos became alive for you. And it was effectual. And you could not deny the work that it was trying to do in your life. Amen? You been there? Yeah. So, we have an experiential reality of the presence of Jesus in the text. And now we have an experiential reality of the word of Christ that spoke, that spoke to the dead, this boy, and he heard. Well, where was he? Well, the Jews that he heard, he was dead. How could he hear? Well, the Jews believed that there was a seven-day mourning process. In the first three days, it was kind of a thinking the spirit was hanging out close um, to their body. Um, and, and after three days, on the fourth day, um, then they considered the person completely dead and it was time to bury him because decomposition was starting to take place. And this is a, this is a great passage to say, what part of the dead boy was hearing Jesus? It was his soul and spirit that Jesus was speaking to. Get this in John chapter 5. Beautiful passage. Concerning Jesus and his spoken word to the dead, to the other side. And Leo, by the way, is going to hear this word of Christ. Chapter 5, verse 24. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Now, I tell you the truth, a time is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Well, now, do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. He goes on to say, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Did you, but did you hear? He's, Jesus is speaking to the spiritual realm that exists for the soul and spirit and they hear so is the experiential reality of God's word in our lives today be to a word spoken here from a preacher a teacher a Sunday school teacher a friend a neighbor someone taking God's word and by faith presenting it, the message, and then trusting Jesus to make that word alive, to make a difference and effect change. Amen? The third thing that we see here in the text is the experiential power of Jesus. Experiential reality of the power of Jesus. And so um, he touches, he touches and he speaks and from Jesus is a, a source of power, the power of life 
It is in his presence and is in his word that goes forth from him and the boy rises from the dead, from this coffin, this uh, burial bed. And he sits up and behold, he is alive. And then he's, Jesus gives his, the son back to his mother, the widow. Mm, a power to raise the dead. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know that. You want to know the power of God in your life today? You want to know the experiential reality of the power of Jesus in your life today? I do. Have you ever experienced that power in your life? Have you? But you, don't you long for more? You know when you walk into a church service and sometimes you walk in and it feels like a dirge? It's like, whoa, whoa. This is like a graveyard in here, you know? It's like everyone's just dead in their face. There's nothing going on. And then another time you can walk into the same group of people, but it is electrified. The worship is powerful. Something is going on. You can't put your finger on it, but you know that there is a life force at work here. There is a power of God that's being expressed and released through the people of God when they come together to worship in the name of Jesus. Amen? Experiential power. We sing that song. It's power, power, power in the name of Jesus. Yes. We want that power. I thought of this illustration. This is a one of those. Uh, ha! Gonna catch you sleeping there, Tom. <laughs> a flashlight. I can tell you everything there is to know about a flashlight if I knew everything there was to know. And you wouldn't necessarily be for the better because of that explanation and all that information brought to you. I can tell you about the batteries that go in it. That is the power source for this flashlight that gives light, which is the purpose of it. And I can tell you how to put it together and put the power into the flashlight. And there it is. We got power and we've got a flashlight mechanism to bring light. But still, there is no light, is there? No light. But then there's this little thing. In, in this one, it's on the back side. There's a little thing called a button that, that is the connector between the power and the light strobing at you. I'm going to hypnotize you now and you're going to uh, fall. <laughs> no. You get the point. There's power, the battery source, electricity stored inside of these little things called batteries. And then there's the light source the filament there, and then the button makes a connection between the current and the light source. And boom, you get it. Now, interesting. Does that button go on and off by itself? Huh. It's got Jim to push the button. <laughs> See, there's a power in you and I it's called the Holy Spirit. And like the batteries, they're always there, always present. And I 
in that expression, potential expression of that power as a vessel that holds the Holy Spirit. But what is the connecting source between the Holy Spirit's power and presence and its effectual experiential reality in my life? Or I'm going to call it O-F-F. Off. You can remember that. O-F, obedience by faith and faith and trusting God to be the button pusher that makes the current happen between the power within me of the Holy Spirit and its effectual expression in my life. That makes sense? That's the Father. Power's there. But when He chooses by His sovereign will to push the connecting faith and obedience in my life, it's dormant power, so, so to speak. But when He pushes, mm, Jim comes alive. This church comes alive. We become effectual in who we are and who God has designed us to be in fulfilling His will and His purposes in our community, in this church, even in this nation, perhaps. Where are you at today in longing for the experiential reality of the presence of Jesus, the word of Jesus, and the power of Jesus? Are you lacking like me? Then let us pray. Are you experiencing it full of joy? Then praise God. And in the text, you know, it's interesting, in the text concerning this widow, we don't see a whole lot of change expressed by the text concerning the boy and the widow. The boy got up from, he was raised from the dead. That's pretty powerful, but you don't hear any of the rest of the story. Like Paul Harvey, that's the beginning of the story, but you don't know what else happened after the story concerning the change that brought forth in that man's life, giving his life back. Nor do we know any more about the widow and giving his son back, we can, we can project into that, assume and presume, and rightly probably to say, oh, well, he, she got her provider, protector, and her companion back. Praise the Lord. It's in the text what the expression of change is, is this. Let me find it again. And... <clears throat> So he says to the young man, get up and walk, or get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And while then they were all, that is the crowd, both the procession of life and the procession of death, all of them were filled, including mom and this boy, with awe and praised God and said, a great prophet has appeared among us. And they said, God has come to help his people. And then this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. And this news about Jesus, not about the widow, but about what Jesus did in being present and speaking and being all-powerful. Let me encourage you today. If you're the one experiencing the presence, the word, and the power, then take the witness and the testimony of that 
to this community and to this world and say, I've experienced Jesus. I am not alone in this world. Take your experience of the word and saying, this word has taught me and God has empowered me to obey it and has changed my life. Let me share with you the word of Christ. And for those of you who experienced the power of changing your life, the button has been pushed by the divine grace of God and that power wrought change in your life. Go share that to this world. The news is telling us that we're dying every day. And we need a presence. We need a word. And we need a power to make a difference. Amen? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Christ. Asking that you take these accounts of miracles in the lives of these people, in this case, a a, a dead boy and a, a grieving mother, and you became present, you became a, a word spoken to them, and a power exercised to raise that young man from the dead. And Lord, that that same presence, word, and power is available to us today, it's here. It is right here in this place. And some of us are longing to experience that, not just to hear about it, not to hear stories about it, nor accounts about it, but anybody else's, everybody else's life about it. They want to know that. They, want to ex- they long it, long for it. They want that experience. Not apart from the factual adequacy and the truth, but they, they want the existential viability of the gospel in their lives. Oh, Jesus, may I ask of you, and of the Father and the Spirit, make yourself so present. Make your words so heard and make your power so effectual that it brings change into our lives and that we would take then that testimony of your work in our lives out into this world. For your glory and for your name's sake. And for thine is the power in the kingdom forever and ever. Amen? Amen.